because I think when you do the more adventurous stuff, like well, a couple of years ago, I was camping in the wilderness of Mongolia. So when you do that, those memories stay with you a lot longer than going to the beach or sunning yourself on the beach. This is the final call for all of me. The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 450. While British cuisine may not be everyone's cup of tea, <clears throat> mine, Brits unabashedly like what they like, and one of those things is baked beans. And it's estimated that 1.5 million cans of Heinz baked beans are sold every single day in the UK. Oh, boy. No wonder that country doesn't smell so great. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. There are obviously a lot of different ways to travel. And one of them that I'm the least familiar with is the idea of cruise ships. And Malcolm's actually going to talk today about a hack that could possibly get some of you free cruises around the world. But no matter how I'm traveling, whether it be by plane, by train, whether it be road tripping, which we've done a lot during uh, COVID, the one thing that is a constant for me, no matter how I'm traveling, is that I'm always carrying my Tortuga backpack with me. That is the piece of luggage that I have with me no matter where I am going. And so if you're listening to this right when it comes out, Tortuga has got a very special discount for you, actually for the holidays for you. So starting today, Tuesday, November 17th, when this episode drops and going until Monday, December 21st, if you spend $200 over at Tortuga, you save 20% off. If you spend 300, you save 25%. And if you spend 500, you save 30%. So if you're looking for an awesome gift for either your favorite traveler in your life or for yourself, check it out. You can find that at tortugabackpacks.com slash epop. Remember, if you use our special link, tortugabackpacks.com slash epop, they know that you're an epop listener, that you came from us, and we get a little bit of love from the Tortuga people. So check it out. Remember, you can uh, those discounts are applied automatically. So if you shop between now, November 17th, 2020, all the way through December 21st, 2020, you will get those special discounts for the holidays. Check it out, tortugabackpacks.com slash epop. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is someone who has visited 98 countries, lived in five, and who figures he'll settle down when he's 95, former business traveler, and now strictly pleasure seeker, Malcolm Teasdale from MalcolmJTeasdale.com. Malcolm, thanks for joining me. Huge welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, we were just talking right before we hit record here, Malcolm, and uh, I think you're doing the pleasure thing pretty well because I asked, where are you at? And you said, oh, yeah, I'm in Florida. I'm by the beach. I, you, you figured out what you like in life, right? I mean, that's not a bad spot to be. Yeah, no, that's pretty good. We're happy down for now. 
So, uh, but anyway, we're still on lockdown, so it is what it is. We're dealing with it. Uh, as you guys can tell Sorry. from Malcolm's accent, I, I not a native Floridian, right? Um, and you've tra- traveled quite a bit in your life, but in a lot of different capacities. When were you first hit with the travel bug? Like, when did you think travel is going to be not just a vacation for me, but a big part of my life? Uh, well, the travel bug hit me when I was quite young. It was probably when I was about 10 years old. I lived in Coventry, England. That's where I was born and raised. My parents came to me one day. Malcolm, Dad and I are going to Asia for a couple of weeks. Will you be able to take care of the house and the cat in our absence? I said, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know what it's like in that age. Anyway, when they came back, had burnt the house down to the ground, and they told me about their trip. And I was intrigued by that. And uh, I thought, well, I need to travel more. But luckily, my parents did take myself and my sister away on because they like traveling themselves. So I always vowed, oh, I'm going to go to Asia one day. But growing up in England, uh, the normal thing to do when you're late teens, early 20s, all the guys would go to Spain or one of the Mediterranean islands where they could just sleep on the beach and party at night. That was typically the things to do because the weather in England wasn't the greatest and the beaches probably aren't the the greatest. Well, I got to be careful here. They're not as good as what they have in the uh, Mediterranean or Spain. So that's typically what we did. But you get bored after that for a while. So uh, then the idea came up. Well, that time I went to Asia. So I went around asking buddies. I said, okay, do you want to go to Asia with me? And all the excuses came out. Well, I'm going to get married. Well, I'm getting to Asia. I need to save up. Well, it's too far to go. And why would you want to go all the way over there where we could just go here? And so I went by myself, went there for three weeks and just toured around Thailand, Hong Kong, Singapore. At the time of my life, that's probably when the travel bug hit me. I wanted to see more of the world. And then I landed up in a, a work environment where I had to travel. And it just carried on from that, basically. Did you And here seek- I am today. Did you seek out opportunities like when you were looking for business opportunities, when you were looking for a job, did you specifically think I want to get into a career or into a position that allows me to travel or was it just kind of a side benefit of the position that you found yourself in? I I think what happened was I was at the age of 25 and I was offered a job in, in Canada and we moved to Ottawa, Canada. Landed in July. The snow never went away till May. And, and anyway, <laughs> we froze to death for two years. And I came back. A company relocated me back here. And then I had an opportunity to move to the United States. And I moved to Boca Raton, Florida. But the position was at that time was that I had to travel. The company had a new product. So I was in technology. So it was a case of it was brought on to me the fact I had to do it. But when I started my own business in 1998, we had to search out for businesses, obviously in the United States and Canada. But once we've got that down pat, I traveled internationally to pick up business partners overseas to sell our product. So I landed tra- uh, traveling quite extensively. I was away from you know, six months of the year, basically. And that so traveling for work and pleasure, if you wish, 
was was sort of uh, in my blood for a long time, and I kind of sold the company in 2013, early retirement. But I thought, you know, got an opportunity now to travel to the more adventurous places, not the business hubs, capital cities, but something of more challenging or more adventurous, so to speak. And that's what I've been doing since, except this year. Right. Dur- during that time frame where, where you had your own business, so you're kind of calling the shots and you said you were traveling about six months a year. So we're looking at, you know, a 15 year time frame yes. in there. During that time, was was there ever a time where the travel became a nuisance where you thought like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm like, yes, I'm traveling, but it's not the way I want to travel. I would actually rather be home. I went through three phases. When I first started it, I loved it because I was getting to see quite a bit of the United States. I thought it was great. Then I went through the phase of, I hate it. You know, I don't like this anymore. And the third phase was acceptance because I had to do it, especially when I was doing my own thing. I had not a choice. And because I learned to accept it, um, especially the international side, which was sort of a new window of travel opportunities, they, therefore I embraced it after that. And uh, since then, it really, I'm a travel addict, basically. That's it. I'm counseling. But I, yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a travel addict, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I I love that you mentioned that, like that when you were doing it because you 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 had to do it, but you weren't like accepting of it. You're just like, oh, this stinks, you know. It 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 wasn't fun. And when you finally said, well, I got to do it, so let me make the best of it. Yes, it's just business travel. Yeah, I'm gonna have meetings. Yeah, I'm gonna have to close deals. Blah 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 blah. All the things. Mm-hmm. But let me at least figure out how I can make it still fun for me. It might not be as fun as just getting to go and do whatever I want, but there is still some benefits right. for that. What did you, how did you kind of balance that? Cause I know a lot of people listening are, there are business travelers who listen. Like I have my own business. I can travel when I want. So right. I'm not necessarily traveling for business quote unquote, but there are a lot of people listening who are like, yeah, that's kind of the spot I'm in Malcolm. Like I, I have to do this traveling. It's not always by choice, but what were some things yeah. that you did to make it enjoyable, even if you had to do it? I, I probably think that one of the most significant things I did, because we were starting to try to expand into a, international market, specifically Asia was at the top of my list, but because it's not time zone friendly, um, I decided to move there. Moved it joined 2007 and 2008, moved to Singapore, which is obviously time zone friendly for that region. That covered Asia Pacific, including Australia as well. So everything is close by. And in my experience, you can't really do business in Asia without face-to-face meetings. So it was a necessity. Basically, if you want to do business in Asia, you got to be there in front of people. And that's exactly what we did. We moved to Singapore, and it's a fantastic experience. So you go somewhere in Asia for work for a few days and you stay, stick around a few days afterwards to enjoy the area itself, find out a little bit about it, become familiar with the, the cultures there. So that was a fabulous experience. So because it was in my own interest to do so or my company's interest to do so, basically had to do it, but it was enjoyable because mm-hmm. um, we, we were fortunate to have some success over there at the end of the day. So it was worth the investment of time and energy of it. 
what was it like for the family? Like, did you have kids at that point? And yeah, like talk us through that because you say, all right, it's going to work for me in the business. But moving from where you were, was it from Florida to Singapore? Was that the move? I lived in Atlanta at that time, actually. Okay. Um, and so the, the wife and I took off and we, we informed the kids, but these were grown at that time. Yeah. Okay. So they, they were sort of adults. They, they were able to take care of themselves. So we made the decision. And, well, let's just go to Singapore. Sounds like a great adventure. The kids are all right. And we're not getting any younger. And we have opportunity here. So let's just do it. And luckily, but my wife was, oh, yeah, I'm your girl. So let, let's go. <laughs> so nice. therefore, actually, one of, the, one of the best experiences we ever had because we, we really enjoyed it there. And funnily enough, obviously, because of COVID right now, we miss that area of the world so much. We even we booked a flight to go to Singapore next April in advance of, well, hopefully all this stuff's going to go away. I'm not right. sure about that, but you know, just, just in case. It gives us something yep. to look forward to. And that's the key. You've always got to have something to look forward to. A light at the and, end of the uh, tunnel, man. A light at the end of the tunnel, yeah. right? Exactly, oh, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. So you... All right, you moved to Singapore. So you've lived in, so you mentioned you've lived in five different countries. Walk us through that. Cause one of the things that I got in the email from you was like, Hey, I just listened to your episode that, uh, that Heather and I did on, you know, if we had to live somewhere, where would right. we live? Which yeah. is a really fun question, right? Like, not just where would you travel, but where would you put down some roots if you had to? And it's always intriguing to me. So you, you have done that in a few different countries. Walk us through the places yeah. you've lived. And then I guess, kind of like a little synopsis of each one or pros and cons of each one? Well, firstly, I was born in England, right? So I lived uh, a lot of my life there. I emigrated at the age of 25, okay? and moved to Canada, Ottawa, Canada. And I was there two years. And um, the company I worked with at that time moved me back to the United Kingdom, but it wasn't England. It was Wales, South Wales. Okay. Right? And... Uh, it's quite different from England so much. They have their own language, by the way. We're totally incomprehensible. But it's a beautiful area of the, the countryside in the River Wye Valley. So I was there for about a year and a half, and I started to get itchy feet, right? So I applied for a position in um, for a, a company that was based in Port Moresby, Papua New Guinea, right? And... I was offered the position and I had my work permit at the time and I had it in my notice. I said, oh, wait a minute, Malcolm, before you do that, we'd like to transfer you to Boca Raton, Florida. So I'm thinking, oh, wait a minute. That sounds interesting. So I avoided Papua New Guinea. I use that word lightly, but then we moved over to um, uh, Boca Raton, Florida. And that's, I moved around a couple of places in, in the United States. But Add to that, it was a time in Singapore, which was basically my choice. We went to Singapore, basically. So it's basically five countries, all different from each other, different culture. Not so much Wales and England, but all the other ones as well. Will we do it again? Yes, if this situation wasn't upon us, we always thought about maybe we'll just spend a few months in Thailand because we're big fans of Thailand or maybe somewhere else it could be in the english countryside i don't know and that's where our heads are at right now but you know we we think about it but not seriously because of the current situation 
It's always from below. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you if out of all your travels, and we'll get into kind of the the really off the beaten path stuff you've done and the cool experiences you've had in a second, but yeah. out of all your travels, how what are the places? And you mentioned Thailand, you mentioned England because you know I'm yeah. sure family, friends, stuff like that. Are there any other places that you've been to and spent time in that you thought, yeah, I could see us... And when I say moving, I mean it kind of the way I talk about, like three months. Like it doesn't mean that you have to move your whole life there, but I would, exactly, I would yeah. spend, I would come back here. It'd be a, it'd be a home base or one of your home bases. Yeah, exactly. I, I know it begs the question, why can't you just settle down? But I guess we're not like that. So Thailand would be one, Singapore would be another, English countryside uh, would be another, and possibly somewhere in the Caribbean. All right. Uh, but What's going to get to us there is maybe island fever, which means you're going to have to get off the, uh, the rock for a while. Um, but that's really a, a bad, possibly somewhere else in, in Europe and maybe another place in, in Asia, maybe. Uh, but those are pretty much it if, if we had to choose right now. Yeah, those are top of the list. Yeah, I, I got you. I think yeah. we all, not we all, but uh, at least people listening to this and you and I have kind of. You know, I, I really feel like I could live a lot of places when I'm there. But then when I step back, this is what my wife's got. She's like, well, let's really think about living there, right? And and yes. when, when you think of it in reality, you're like, yeah, there are a lot of places that, that I wouldn't choose to live. But there's probably three, four, five that I'm like, if someone told me I had to, I, I would be fine with these places because yeah. they have what I need. They have what I want, you know, things like that. Um, yeah, you'd be surprised. That's I've learned more about foreign cultures. And one of my uh, subjects on cruise ships is to talk about uh, world indexes, what we are here in the States and what other countries do sometimes better than we do and how we could learn from them. And you'd be surprised at what some countries are really good at and, and make it good for people who just want to move temporarily. It's, it's surprising. Like the healthcare in Singapore is is unbelievably good, you know. And it is in Thailand as well. So things like that. And it's very livable. It's not grossly expensive. And there's all, all these little factors that, that can come into play. You know? So, uh, but right now, whether we actually do this is a different matter. But I, I'm just saying the thoughts with me and uh, it will take a lot for that to change, I think. Yeah. Let's, th- let's talk about the cruise ship thing because this is an interesting domain that you're a part of, an interesting... I, I'll call it a job, but like you said, you're retired, so it's it's hobby slash job, right? Uh, sometimes Correct, they blur yeah. the lines. What talk, yeah. talk us through that? Like, how did you get into this, and what are you doing on cruise ships? It, this came about because when I sold the company in 2013, um, I thought, well, I'm retired. How great is this? But many people will tell you when they retire, they can get bored, that they miss the world of business or even travel for that matter. So someone suggested to me, said, Matt, you ever thought about doing stuff on cruise ships? Well, up to that time, I'd never been on a cruise, to be honest with you. I just, <laughs> it didn't appeal to me at all, right? Right, right. So, I'm with you. Like, I would take it if someone told me to go on a cruise, but I'm not exactly. seeking it out. Yeah. No, no, I, I, that's exactly right. So I'd already uh, spoken at trade shows and uh, events at different places. So, I went through some agencies who dealt with these cruise lines and they, they deal with a large number of them. They, they're, they're very large 
floating apartment complexes, you know, the type I mean, and to the, the, the boutique cruise lines. So what they do is um, they send me emails periodically. Malcolm, you, not just me, but other speakers send invites out. So would you like, th- does this cruise interest you? And this is where it's going. So I look where it's going and I create some sub topics to, to talk to the, the audience there or the passengers on board. And the cruise line just said, yeah, okay, you're in. So what they're about, are my subjects are about destinations we're going to, foreign cultures or business. Those are the three. But I talk about other stuff. There's quirky subjects in there right now, like how to become bilingual. Well, yeah. How to speak English and American. Why? Well, I've lived in both countries equal time. I've speak both languages now. What are you talking about? Well, there's differences. And, and believe it or not, people can get a giggle out of that. Just uh, so, oh, that's a cool thing. I get it. But subjects like that, just to, to keep passengers entertained at days at sea before we stop off at a port of call. But I learned a bit about the history of a place. I, I've done some uh, cruises up in the Baltics and Russia. So uh, we stop at St. Petersburg, which I'm able to get off the ship and stay overnight there, which is a fantastic thing to do, by the way. Fabulous city. And, uh, but I learned enough about the history and geography there to talk coherently about St. Petersburg, which has had a tumultuous past. And so the crowds, the uh, passengers on board come and listen to me to, to, to for about 45 minutes, ask me questions, and that's it, you know? Huh. Fascinating. And, and it's, it's broadcast on the TV. So it, oh, I can look man. at myself on TV. My wife will put it on TV. I turn that off. I don't know myself anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it fascinating when you get into an industry? I'm sure you saw this happen with business too, but when you get into an industry and you just had no idea, like you had no idea it existed. You had no idea that, hey, I could, I could make a little cottage industry out of being a cruise ship lecturer, speaker, whatever. And yeah not something I ever would have thought about in my life had I not seen you say, hey, I do this. And now I'm thinking, wait a second. Like, yeah, that, might be something, do, that might be what something fun to try, right? Not that yeah. you would make your whole life out of it or, I, or I'd make a career no. out of it, but here and there, yeah, why not? Yeah, do it. I mean, there's, there's plenty of cruise ships around. In fact, there's, well, before obviously this mess, mess happened, there was hundreds of cruise ships companies out there and they've got a ton of ships. It's, it's amazing. So I said, I found myself in sort of strange place. The Azores, for example, in the middle of the Atlantic, I did a transatlantic on Norwegian. So we we're around Spain, stopped at the Azores, which I thought, oh, weird, the Azores? Who'd want to go there? Uh, but it's quite – the bad thing is anything, but it's six days at sea after that, right? So you're at sea without seeing any land. But I had to, in my own mind, I thought, yeah, I've got to do a transatlantic once in my life so that that was it was pretty neat really um but you know just going to different areas and scandinavia or asia just cruising around there is, is quite good because i look forward to the places we go to I get off the ship or you stay somewhere before you get on the cruise and after you get off the cruise you stay a bit longer if you want you've got that option as well so it's S- quite similar to what to similar to what you did when you were business traveling right like correct let me build out a fun adventure in the beginning, at the end, and then right. you know do my job, if you will, in air quotes, right in the middle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, very. In- I mean, I'm intrigued by this. I will. We'll talk more <laughs> about this. 
Uh, well, actually, I'll ask because maybe there's other people like, what is a good resource for someone starting out? Like if someone's like, hey, wait a second, this sounds pretty cool. I'd like to do this. I think I have a skill or a talent that I could, I could, you know, also lecture on. What would be good resources for people to find out about that? Uh, there are agencies out there on the Internet. You know, if you contact me later, I'll, I'll give you the name of a couple. But there are agencies out there who deal specifically with this stuff. Right. And uh, because we it's no good us talking to how that process works, by the way, uh, in the back office. But the fact is that these agencies deal with a, a multitude of cruise lines and and that's how they, they do a matching thing. And the right. cruise lines, I guess, pay these people. I, I, I don't know the intricacies of how all this works. So, I mean, I went on in February before this lot hit, uh, went on a, a boutique cruise line called Seaboard Cruise Line, just around the Caribbean. But it sort of went, it was a facet cruise line, actually, unbelievable. So it's sort of luxury, ultra luxury. But it stopped at the unknown in the Caribbean or the less visited, like Guadeloupe, St. Arts, um, Tortola, but not the main port elsewhere, and uh, an island in the Grenadines that virtually no cruise ships go. So that was neat. It wasn't to the usual places. So there's a lot to um, you just have to look where the cruise show and it, something may pique your interest. That I want to get on that ship. The only thing you have you have a, a video of yourself presenting, um, which shouldn't be a problem with you, and then then uh, join the join the process, so to speak. That's it. Do you have a reputable agency that you like working with better, like one that people should look for first? I, I don't know if they're all what, what determines what's better, but I've signed up with about three or four of them. Okay. And uh, they keep me informed of what's happening. And okay. you can apply online or the agency will work with, with you to get your assignments. It, it, the process seems to work out quite well. It, it doesn't take... Basically, you're waiting. For me, I just wait. Periodically, I get an email from the agency. He said, these are the lists of cruises by such and such a cruise line we have going out in 2021 or whatever it is. If you're interested, let me know. We'll put your name forward and pick, choose some subjects. Okay. Does it cost, you, does it cost you anything to sign up with the agencies or are they charging no, the cruise lines? Some ag agencies will charge us a fee. A daily fee, but other cruise lines don't. Um, it depends on the cruise line. They could, example, transatlantic one or uh, a cruise outside the country. Um, they'll fly me over to the destination, fly you back wherever it is. So pick up the tab for that, and uh, they all have different. All the cruise lines have their own their own uh, requirements and what they're prepared to to pay for. But obviously, once you get on board. You're, you're, you're basically, although you you have to act like one of the staff members, you are in fact a passenger, mm. even though you're okay. a working passenger. But for the fact is, I mean, if you're on a cruise ship for two weeks, it could be that you're lecturing for maybe five or six days of that cruise in the morning for about an hour each day. So just go to the theater early, plug in your computer, test everything, and uh, people come in. Maybe just a handful, but it could be a lot of people, depending what else is on the ship that day. And you, you start talking, and that's it. And uh, nice. it's, uh, I found it, to me, it's relaxing. It's, it's very relaxing. So I don't mind speaking in front of a crowd, but 
to me, it's because the two things I learned, I, if I, I'm talking about a subject I'm maybe not 100% familiar, I will learn about it before I can talk about it coherently. So I'm ready for that cruise. Like St. Petersburg, uh, for example, I, I spent time learning about detailed history of that city so I could go on the uh, stage and talk about that history um, because we were going to visit there. And, uh, you know, some things you may know already, so you don't need to do any research. But it's a right. PowerPoint presentation, basically. That's it. Yeah. And now when you sign up with the agency itself, like you said, you were three or four different agencies and they said, yeah. must, do they charge you to sign up or is usually that just free? No, it's free. Okay. So if someone wants to get started, they can essentially say, let me find these agencies, Google like cruise ship speaking agencies or something like that. Yeah. Okay, cool. I, uh, I'll send you uh, some information. A uh, couple, cool. couple ones offline, and um, you know when you're ready. And uh, I, you know, it, yeah, it's it's worth it because cruise lines are looking for people um, to to do this stuff. And you you may have something you specifically talk about. I've been on. I'm not the only speaker on board. There's other ones. I've been on board with physicists who talked about Stephen Hawking stuff. I was on the cruise ship. Another speaker was a comedian. Um, then there's scientists and there's other people doing specialized stuff as well as me who uh, talks about travel. Right. You know, so, um, and you just assign speaking slots throughout the day. Cool. Interesting. Like you, All you, right. You'll enjoy it. You'll enjoy yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just a new thing, right? Like that, that, again, you wouldn't know about unless someone that you knew mentioned it. And then you think, Hey, I, I might throw this into my repertoire. Like, I'm not going to do this all the time. I'm not going to shirk my no. other business or duties. But no. if I, yeah, if it works out, it works out. Very neat. Um, yeah. Obviously, you're retired now. Uh, you know, outside of doing the cruise ship speaking, you're retired. And you've got, as you mentioned, now the opportunity to go to some of these off the beaten path places. You're not, you don't have to go to business hubs and things like that. Yeah. Walk us through off the beaten path. Like, have you gotten further and further and further off the beaten path? And if so, like, what are you looking for in a destination if you haven't been there before? Like, kind of for you, what what stokes your fire is like, oh, yeah, I really want to go here. I know. it's a, We've all got bucket lists. Uh, mine seems to be getting longer than shorter. <laughs> yeah. That's, yep, a, that's the sad it's, thing about it. That's natural. So... The case is the more I do, the more I want to do. But I decided to, to do the more adventurous stuff um, long ago. And I thought, well, that was really cool. Because I think when you do the more adventurous stuff, like well, a couple of years ago, I was camping in the wilderness of Mongolia, right? Um, so when you do that, those memories stay with you a lot longer than going to the beach and sunning yourself on the beach, right? Swimming in the uh, ocean. I just found that 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 that's me though. I, I'm not saying everyone else works that way. And I, uh, to, back to 2014, I trekked the Himalayas, Himalayan mountains. I went to Nepal and uh, trekked through the mountains there. I was, I suppose, I'm still young now, but I was young enough to do them, not die of a heart attack high up, you know. <laughs> so uh, you know, uh, keep doing those things. And uh, one thing I did uh, not so long ago. Is go to country of Bhutan and t climb up to Tiger's Death Monastery. And I, I, when I mentioned earlier about going to Asia next year in April, I want to do that again. 
So it's a fantastic experience. So those are the places that I class as being off the beaten track. Some places where you go and people will ask, what on earth do you want to do that, go there for? Or why do you want to do that? Well, and that, that's just me. That's the answer to your question, right? It's like, because yeah. your aunt asking me why I want to do it, that inherently is why I want to do it, right? Because yeah, most, yeah, exactly. people, most people don't, right? And and you want to see something that others don't. I, I want to talk about Bhutan for a second because I, I haven't been, and it's always obviously been very high on my list. I think for most people who are who are thinking outside the box, Bhutan is on their list because- yeah. It's so unique. It only it limits. If if you guys are unfamiliar, it limits the amount of people who can come a year. You have yes. to go through a essentially a government agency that then puts you with a with a tour company. You pay what what is it two hundred and fifty dollars a day a person or something like that. Mm, I I did not. I don't think that the rules have changed a little bit. Uh, okay, but yes, a a subsidized travel agency. I I use one called the Travel Club. They were excellent. I'm still in contact with the owner of that company right now. He's he's become a good friend of mine. But I sign up. They book your flight and hotel. Um, you can't just go there and land. You've got to get permission to go there. Yeah. And the airlines we're familiar with are not allowed to fly in there. So uh, Bhutan has their own flight uh, airlines. Druk Air is one of them, and I flew in from Bangkok. And Druk Air has four planes on it, four planes on its fleet. That's it. But you fly with Druk Air, but these pilots are expert because Paro Airport in Bhutan is one of the most difficult airports in which to land in the world because surrounded by eighteen foot, eighteen thousand foot peaks. So it goes like that. Found that out after I landed, by the way. But anyway. <laughs> But yeah, once you once you permit to go there, everything is cool. It's 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 quite easy to do. And once you're there, you're in a land that hasn't really changed for centuries. It is, but it's at its own pace. The people are friendly, the landscape is unbelievable, and the people are happy there. They want it to keep keep it that way. For yeah. I mean the cut the cut the country's only had a television since 1999 it's only one escalator in the country it's, it's amazing to hear these things but what's what they're happy with and uh, it's just fabulous and and that's one of the reasons i want to go to before i mean you know who knows how long it'll take before it changes you know ho- hopefully never um but countries you know we've seen other countries limiting tourism and and for the purpose of keeping basically their culture fine and their landscape and environmental sure. uh, concerns and all that. And, you know, and then we've seen countries do that and then kind of open the floodgates a little bit. Bhutan, one of the very few countries, maybe the only country left in the in the world other than, you know, certain ones that you can't go in like North Korea, not not for tourist reasons, but for other reasons. <laughs> yeah. Um but, you know, I, I want to get there while it still is this way and it's pristine. And I love the idea that, you know, they have instead of what their gross domestic product, their GDP, they have their uh, gross happiness quotient or That's something. Right. Yeah. So it's like they they value that. That's what their country runs on. How happy are we? And so, yeah. Exactly. I, 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 how I've got a T-shirt with that on it. Bhutan, world's happiest country or gross happiness. Yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. So, how many days did you spend there? Because typically, you have you go for what a week or two somewhere in there. Yeah, 
I was about there about a week. So I spent a whole day um, climbing up to Tiger's Nest, which, by the way, yeah, it, it's indescribable. It's 10,300 feet up. And you're in a valley, and you, it takes about four hours to get up there. It's strenuous. Once you get up there, you, you take your shoes off. You can't take your cameras in there, but you go into the temple there. It's quite an extraordinary feeling when you go in there, by the way, like nothing you've ever felt before. You come out, as long as you're back down, you know, before nightfall, then you're okay. You don't want to be on the side of a mountain uh, when darkness falls. So, but the other days, you go to the capital city of Thimpu, um, then, but there's other areas as well. When I was there, it was also the king's birthday. <laughs> so the whole, the main soccer stadium there was full of the locals, people, or, or the locals there. I was, it seemed like I was the only foreigner there, but I was there for the king's birthday, surrounded by all the locals, and they were just great fun to be with. It was the king's birthday celebration. They had all the parades around the soccer field there and all, all kinds of stuff going on. Yeah, what a fascinating country. And if you guys, if you haven't seen the Tiger's Nest Monastery, I mean, just go Google it, but it's the one, you've probably seen it without knowing maybe what you were seeing. It's a pretty iconic, it's it's the monastery that's built essentially onto the side of a cliff. Face. A cliff, yeah. Yeah, um, a couple of people have uh, fallen over the side before, but what I got there, there's a Thai woman who, who was posing for a photograph as she stepped too far back and went down. Um, but they've built fences there. You, you've got to be really careless to have an accident. To me, it's safe, even for a guy of my age, um, as I said. But once you get up there, or once you're on the ground, you look at it, and you say, oh, my God, the only, place, only way I'm going to get there is by catapult. And, but you get up there, you have to go with a guy, and you can't do it by yourself, by the way. So I followed this guy up there. And when it's great, so once you're there, it's uh, very fulfilling. And uh, so... It's classed as an achievement, I guess. You know, you look yeah. back and think, oh, that's a great thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the other just highlight moments of your travels? Because, I mean, 98 countries, you, you know, you're getting, you've, you've seen and done a lot. And, you know, it's not always the number of countries. It's also the, the breadth of experience. And you, you're certainly exactly, a traveler. Yeah. Who, who has that and, 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 and does that, right? You're not just, oh, let me tick it off. I step foot in here, whatever. So what are some to you when you, when you look back of like, these are highlights, either, either it be places or, or experiences that you did in those places. Uh, there weren't, so, some, were, some were work, some were um, pleasure. Um, long ago, uh, I was in Cairo during the first Gulf crisis, and, uh, which was a bit hairy, actually. Uh, but then I was in Moscow during the final days of the Soviet Union. Wow. Yeah, I got uh, – it, it was a uh, – I had to f fix some stuff for the, the United States government. At this time, I wasn't even a U.S. citizen, but that's me to go over there to fix some stuff there. So I spent um, uh, a few days in Moscow during that time, which was quite historical. And Gorbachev was out December the 23rd. I left the day before when that happened. But the Bolshoi Theater was open. I enjoyed Moscow. I got out at night. People were great. And, uh, but just being there during that time was sort of an epic thing. I got to go to the Red Square and the, see the, the iconic buildings there. And uh, that, was, that was a fabulous experience. More recently, um, going to Tibet to see Potala Palace, 
was was great and uh, experience in Mongolia, just standing there with a a vulture on my arm, staring in the face there, <laughs> could have killed me on the spot. <laughs> you know, it's just some of the stuff's crazy. Like, yeah, I come home and tell people, like, yeah, you're nuts. You know, yeah. Uh, see, why would you do that? Counseling. Right? Why would you do yeah, that? And then yeah, you answer, exactly. well, that's yeah, why. Yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's probably some some crazy stuff. But yeah, it, it, I, I do scuba diving as well. So uh, one of the... Um, the best or reputing the best scuba diving place on the planet is in the island of Palau in Micronesia uh, mainly because there's a couple of famous dive sites there and I did scuba diving so well can I do this yeah I've got to go to what is supposed to be this dive site in the world it's the island of Palau so I went there not the easiest place to get to but I went there it, it was quite unbelievable and I was watching the team last night, a David Attenborough program on a nature program about biodiversity. And he mentioned the island of Palau, which they've done is protect coral reef by forbidding fishing in the area there. Or the coral reef is, is living and so is the fish life. And I, and I wondered why when I was there, I thought, Jesus, unbelievable coral life here. And the fish is quite extraordinary because they protected it. Anyway, I, that that was pretty option to do, but because I love scuba diving, it was a, seemed to be the right thing to do at the time. So, just a, a couple of examples. What are a few of the things, as you said, your bucket list grows longer and longer by the day, right? Any human you talk to gives you a suggestion, it goes on your list. Because um, now I'm like going to go on a cruise apparently and be a speaker just from <laughs> talking to you. Um, so, what what are a few of the things at the top though that you're like? Like, hey, I haven't done them yet, but I, I'm gonna get to these. Like, these are these are the things that I'm gonna do and make a priority. Uh, yeah, as I said, it uh, gets a bit longer because uh, I'm a scuba diver. I, I went to Palau. I went to an island called Sipadam, which is south of Borneo. In 2019, actually, which is really a lot of island, uh, but the diving there is a, it's a marine park for the Malaysian government, and um, that was. Fantastic. You're sort of isolated. You, you're cut off from the rest of the world, but the dive is spectacular. The number three spot for diving is a place called Ria Ampat. It's in Indonesia. So that's there. Okay. Uh, I've always fancied doing a jungle trek, uh, flying into Manaus, northern Brazil, staying there and walking in the jungle and staying in a jungle lodge. So that's my list as well. Um, what others I did Tibet recently. Um, I thought about going back to Nepal again uh, and uh, maybe driving around through the outback Australia, for example, or going to New Zealand and walking through Milford Sound. Just a few. Just a few. That's all we need. Just a few quick hits that, that, that we're thinking, all right, maybe we'll do this. So for you then, I mean, a lot of these travels that you're doing are, are yeah, I, I classify them expeditions or things yeah. like that, like challenges. Um, what are ways that you like i guess what is your travel style so we know that all right maybe a bit more adventurous but when it comes to financial resources and all are there ways we, like we'll play a little game and we'll call it save and save or splurge right so like are there ways that you say all right i'm the type of person who will save on this like other people will spend money on it i'll save so that i can splurge on this other thing what are what are those let's start with the save things of like Things that you, yeah, ways that you save money when traveling, so you have money to do other stuff. Uh, well, I um, for, for flights, 
uh, I've business travel days, I accumulated a lot of frequent flyer points. Okay, so I've still got a bunch of those to use yet. So let's sort it out. If I'm traveling by myself, which times I do, my wife says, I'm not going there. Get out of here. But, so I, I will stay in a place where um, I don't know if it's small. I want to stay place, in a place that's safe, comfortable. It doesn't have to be luxurious. You know, I don't that because I don't spend that many, much time in a, in a hotel room, right? But, but if my wife comes with me, she's a creature of comfort. So, I, I, you know, I would date safe moments for when she comes along. Um, mm. So uh, that's pretty much it. Actually. So spending frequent flyer miles that I had from the past working and then, you know, just, just, just uh, uh, balance it. But I make a point, though, throughout here, if I book something in advance, even if it's six months in advance, I have enough time to budget for it and realize how much I probably will spend there and uh, then plan accordingly. A lot of places I go to, though, what's mentioned there, are not that expensive because, you know, it's, I'm not staying on Victoria Peak in Hong Kong, ridiculous like that. I'm going out in the boonies somewhere, which tends to be not grossly expensive. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, the place I go to. Those are kind of three big ones, right? Like flights, accommodations, and then choosing and like the the where you're going, right? I mean, yeah, you could travel around Southeast Asia uh, for for nothing and, and have amazing experiences because it's just it's such a cheaper area than yeah. Western Europe, right? Or, yeah, or anything like that. So, all right, what are then what are the things that you will splurge on? I've got to a point now. If if I fly over to Asia. Um, I've got no frequent flight points, so I typically fly business class, right? If I had to do economy, well, now I'll do it. You know, I've, I've done my time with that. I'm a bit older now. I'm older than you are, Travis. Just let me. Yeah, but you probably guess that. Um, and if the wife comes with me, we'll we'll stay in a decent hotel. Well, if you go, if it's the England, we'll probably just stay up somewhere. But uh, things like that. The older we get, the more inclined we are to well. We're sort of getting older now. We've only got so many years left. We're looking at the sad side of it. So let's just stay somewhere that's, that's really comfortable. Um, so, yeah, I'll good accommodation um, occasionally, yeah, when we feel yeah. the need. So we're fortunate to be in that position, but that's what I'm saying. We just uh, we'll do it periodically. And uh, um, yeah, just apart from that, that's when we travel. Yeah. yeah, who's with you and, and how you have to do it. And then it, it, obviously experiences too for you. Like, I, you know, the things that you're talking about, like scuba diving, right? Not a cheap thing yeah. to do, but you're saying, yo, well, I'm going here to scuba dive. So yeah, I'll stay at a different accommodation or not oh, sure. luxurious, but I want the experience versus the comfort sometimes. Uh, exactly. And some of the places like Sipper, for example, which is south of Borneo, like I mentioned, is, there's no luxurious accommodation there really, for scuba divers. In fact, the resort I stayed at was owned by the scuba diving company. It was a decent place, by the way. I, I have no problem with that. And you know, a lot of camaraderie there with, with fellow divers, so it was just fine, you know? All okay. right, we got to ask you, you've been to a lot of places. You've had a lot of adventures. Uh, you've probably had a lot of misadventures as well. What What is like 
the travel mishap or misadventure that sticks out in your mind is saying, all right, I'm going to be on my front porch. Grandkids may be running around. They come up and they say like, Grandpa Malcolm, like, you know, tell me a story. And like, what is the story that you're telling them? It's just like, can you believe I got myself into this? What a, uh, it, well, here's one that's happened recently. Years. I went to, to Yangon, Myanmar. I applied for my visa. Uh, I got that, landed at Yangon, and got to immigration. They let me in. I said, why? Because your, your visa expired. And I said, well, wait a minute. You gave me the visa, knowing my travel plans. Well, it, the Myanmar embassy in the U.S. messed up. So when I took, me, me tried to explain that, at immigration, caused security to come in. And I said, look, here's the situation. They had to bring in a translator. Follow me. So I got taken to a, a holding room. I said, when, and the translator said, he was a, sort of a nice guy. You know, they're not going to let you in. I said, well, this isn't really my fault, is it? Well, it doesn't matter. Um, anyway, and if there's one flight out of town. We can put you on that flight. So, well, okay. So I landed, I was two hours in Myanmar before on a flight out of town and went to Bangkok. Bangkok at 1 a.m. and I went to the local pub for a beer because they were still open, right? Two hours in Myanmar. I wrote a chapter about that actually in a book I wrote, but, but I did go back to Myanmar the year after. And then I had, great place by the way, Unbelievable architecture and buildings there, but back in place, I thought, uh, went up to one of the Buddhist temples there, where supposedly the uh, the hairpiece there. But get a taxi back from there. But with me, I go to these phone lines. I always have a map with me, so I knew where my hotel was. But the taxi went off in the direction. I thought, well, maybe just go around works or or bad traffic, and. Every time we came to a junction, I was hoping it turned left, but he took a right. And we landed up going across a bridge out of the Yangon. I tell him, tell him to pull over on the side of the road. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, if I ditch this taxi here, how am I going to get back? Right, right. So I had a map. I said, look, this where we are. That's my hotel. We're here. And he threw his hands up in the air and uh, made our way back. So I don't know, but I'm very wary of taxes. I'm paranoid about taxes, especially in South America, because kidnapping has happened in the past. People like me coming in, they take you away for ransom. Then the company, we have Malcolm Teasdale here, send us some money, we'll let him go. And my partner said, okay, we'll go up to a hundred bucks. That, which, which, that, that, that's it, right. But Myanmar is crime free, but you don't know there's always a first time. He was taking me away from the, so I, I caught that. So that was a bit unnerving, you know. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it's I, I'm with you. One, I, but I, I, I taxis are. I'm always wary, and you know, ninety five percent of the time I shouldn't be. But yeah. you know how you feel, like you're at someone else's mercy and, and you're trying to make sure they go the right way. And yeah, most of the time it does, but you never know whether they're just scamming you to bilk you for extra money, which is fine. Like it's better than the alternative of taking away to kidnap you, right? But yeah, it's, right. it's annoying. Like you don't want to be the one taken advantage of. 
Um, so I'm with you. And, and I've been in Yangon and it's, it is a, oh man, the architecture is stunning, but that is not a place that I would want to be taken into a holding room. Like not a country I'd want to be in a holding room, you know, trying to explain why my paperwork is not correct because, right. you know, there, there's some shady stuff going on there in all levels of, of life. So, yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. But the funny thing is, there's still a Brit, because this belonged to the British Empire at one time, but there's still an area in, in the city where there's a contingent of British citizens left over from that time. It's funny enough, it's like the remnants of the British Empire still alive and well in there. It's, but I, I enjoyed it anyway. It's just an experience, but anyway. For sure. Add it for to sure. the list. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Well, Malcolm, thank you so much for joining me today for, for personally letting me know about this uh, opportunity with cruise lines, but also for everyone out there listening, just kind of telling us the travel stories, honing in on this idea between business and, and pleasure travel and getting off the beaten path. Yeah. And, and, and if you can't, and you are a business travel, you can't get off the beaten path as much as you want, how you can, you know, add some stuff in to make it enjoyable as well. So I just really appreciate it. Remind people one more time, like where is the best place for them to come find out everything you're doing. And you've got a few books and all stuff like that. So where should they go? Yeah. Right. You spell my name, right? Malcolm Teasdale, T-E-A-S-D-A-L-E. Google me. And I've got books on Amazon. But best way place to go is like MalcolmJTeasdale.com. And you can read about places I've been to, my uh, lecture subjects and books I've written. And I've got candid opinions there as well about the best of, the worst of, um, there's various categories and you can read that stuff. And I've got some uh, podcast episodes up there as well, uh, which nice. I've just recorded, which are really just episodes from books and my experience in a, in a place, uh, whether good or bad and things like that. MalcolmJTSdell.com. I'm on Twitter at Malcolm the Brit. And um, where else? That information's on my website anyway. They'll find you. Google my name and you're yes. There we go. We'll link it off yeah, in the I'm show find, notes, guys. I'm findable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Extrapackofpeanuts.com slash shows. We'll link it off in the show notes um, so you guys can see it. And yes, Malcolm will give his unfiltered opinion on his website, which is what we what we appreciate and, of course, what we expect from a Brit, right? Um, so thank you for that, Malcolm. Exactly. And <laughs> thank you for joining me today, man. All right. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Take care of yourself and uh, good the business in future. I hope awesome. Well for you. Thank you guys for tuning in today and for the continued support that makes us the number one rated podcast on iTunes. Until next time, everyone, happy free travels. I'll show you Paris.